verse. Something to make life better, not worse. It's the basics of Buddhism. Buddha's first trick. It's the four noble truths to make enlightenment quick. He figured out, sitting under a tree, that life will never be perfect. It includes some pain and misery. But that's all right, he said. Most of this pain is in your head. Don't give up if you're not dead. <laughs> what you gotta do is understand that things don't always go as you plan. Toss them out. <laughs> if they don't make you feel good, those expectations should be understood. Don't just put a bandage on your brain. Figure out the source of the pain. Seek the truth about you and your world. Decide how you fit. Seek that truthful pearl that brings light to your eyes. Moves the clouds from your skies. Which brings us to truth number two. Now that pain and suffering has become understood, you realize you know that everything must end. All suffering is temporary. You either die, if it gets worse, or you improve <laughs> and survive. So you're understood your suffering. You see the end to your pain. Ignorance will lead you astray, but what you've learned and what you know can visualize the end. So noble truth number one is accepting that life includes some pain. Noble truth two says it won't always rain. And noble truth number three, we lead you to the cure. If it can stop the pain, be dropped. You know this for sure. So now you seek the first cure, the quickest or the best. Instead of just complaining, <laughs> you are on a quest. Answers that you seek may lead to other knowledge. Seeking the truth in life is our greatest college. Learn from interaction, success, and mistakes. Number one, you accept the truth. Life can be bad. Number two, you see that what's bad has an end. Number three, you decide how this end <laughs> can be had. So number four is the truth of success and prevention. Live a life that's good. Be as smart as you can. Be a good person, a good one, a good man. The life you lead is the path you walk and <laughs> how you talk. <laughs> Choices are the crossroads of the path around the rock. There's going to be boulders, obstacles in your way. Choose the four noble truths to brighten your day. Well, hello and welcome to Podcast 008. That's a special number for me, being a Buddhist, and uh, it uh, represents all kinds of neat things. But um, 
Yeah, this is 008 of Buddha Z Explains. I'm obviously Buddha Z, and I'm going to explain something to you. <laughs> got a, I guess you got a whole bunch of things I'm going to probably explain. But <clears throat> my focus is going to, pour, of course, be on the uh, Four Noble Truths. And I'm going to be, over the next eight years, releasing eight books which I'm writing on the Four Noble Truths. So in eight years, you will have mastered the Four Noble Truths, which means you will be able to live the ultimate possible life that anyone can possibly live, according to Buddhism. Now, there may be other religions and philosophies you can add to that, like Confucianism, Taoism, and, and such, and strategy. But uh, in terms of Buddhism, the Four Noble Truths is the foundation. It's the core. It's the... Uh, basics of all Buddhism. Until you know the Four Noble Truths, you can't really add any of the other Buddhist information to it. I mean, it's all built on making the Four Noble Truths work. So anyway, um, today's podcast theme, uh, Buddha Z Explains, is going to be humans being salmon. Okay, now we've been kind of like dealing with love and everything and how we are basically animals, and we've created almost a religion and philosophy and uh, ways of living all based around love. In fact, marketing, everything. Uh, love is quite the, quite the motivation, kind of like hunger. There's a lot of advertising and motivation and uh, I don't know about religions based on eating. <laughs> Maybe. But anyway, um, <clears throat> what we're going to do is uh, we're going to talk. Okay, so well, today, let me just summarize and let's get going. Um, I'm going to read you a poem which I wrote back in uh, 2019 for a, a local poet here in Los Angeles. His name's James Levin, or Levin, and he's the host of a, um, a bi-monthly event, I think it was, and he used to hold poetry readings at a place called Priscilla's in Burbank, a little night. Um, it's actually just a little restaurant, coffee shop, I guess is what it really was, and uh, he would have these poetry readings. <clears throat> And it was one of the places that I like to go and read on a regular basis. So once I found it, I don't think I ever missed one for about a year. I was going there to all the different events. And uh, towards the last uh, few events that I attended, um, before I moved up here to Lancaster and, and then the um, epid pandemic hit, so that kind of kicked the, you know, cut all the poetry things anyway. So I kind of bailed out just a few months before it actually ended anyway. Anyway, he, uh, he, he was putting out themes for a couple of these events. And so for today's poem, um, his, well, let's see, the rule, or he, he called it a rule, I guess. He was trying to get people to inspire to write a poem based on this, was about a childhood memory. Okay, so that was cool. And so I wrote this poem called Again, based on my childhood memories, as you'll see. All right, so let's just get going here. And, uh, and uh, then we'll attack the humans being salmon thing throughout the podcast. Um, here we go. This is a poem again. Uh, like I said, I, it was from May 2019. So I wrote it right before that, you know, within a month of that event. Again, by Richard Del Connor, Buddha Z, the philosopher poet. I took a shortcut off the sidewalk on to the grass, which became bare earth with gravel. Then some ground granites. Hmm, should I cut through the canyon pass? Yeah, I hopped into the natural, the indigenous chaparral, Southern California black sage, and lots of wild rosemary. 
That's why I don't season with rosemary at all. The sage I season with is different from what I'd wear. Sometimes my Levi's smelled like licorice with sand in my underwear. Back to that walk off the side of the road. If I'd be a kid again, I'd be hunting for a lizard or a toad. As I looked down at the California ground beneath my feet, I wanted to be there, be back where. I'd hike alone as a kid outside San Diego City. I was raised on the county limits. Canyons stretched to the horizon. S Mountain, with a white gravel S for San Diego State, was my adventurous limit. Through the canyons, in a northerly direction, this was my chaparral, with all the creatures in it. I almost befriended the coyotes. They'd follow me on the other side of the creek. I collected salamanders, snakes, lizards, and toads. I was Indiana Jones after school, five days a week. I, I hung out after they closed at the San Diego Zoo. Some of my reptile freeloaders outgrew my menagerie. When my iguanas at mom's, eight mom's chrysanthemums, they were through. My seven-foot green iguana was traded by the zoo for a Hamburg chimpanzee. He kept beating up the other iguanas behind the outdoor moat, they later told me. Yes, I was back there, right then. I was in identical surroundings, again. The coyotes reappeared, in my mind. The smells, invigora the smells invigorated those weaker memories left behind. It was wonderful, a cheap thrill, a kind of bliss. But like any memory, it's not as good as the actual kiss. So I wondered how hard it'd be to have a backyard naturally, recreate the canyon with rosemary and sage. Do I just claim a chunk of canyon? If I import dirt and recreate it, is it an environment or a stage? Maybe I'll buy rural. I'll buy a farm with canyons on the land. It'll be my canyon backyard. I'll be walking back there again. I'll capture some lizards again. I might even hunt rabbits with my bow and arrows again. I'll walk the pass. Ah, man, no ticks, I hope, again. Enjoying the canyon interactions and quail sailing again. Being alive, climbing rocks, build campfires again. Sleep in my sleeping bag under the sagebrush again. But does that mean I'll probably get bitten by a rattlesnake again? So that's my poem, Again. And as you can see, I was kind of like in a similar... I'm only in Los Angeles, so the terrain is identical. You know, it looks like I'm still in the same canyon when I walk off the road and get out in the canyons here. Actually, now I'm in Lancaster. It's a lot different. I'm in the high desert, so it's, it's a little different up here. Didn't have Joshua trees in San Diego. So um, anyway, again, now, ironically, <clears throat> just about a couple of weeks ago, one of my brothers sent me a, uh, some pictures 
He's bought a, a big hunk of land outside of San Diego, out in the county, just like I'm talking about. And he was sending me some pictures of snakes and stuff he'd found. And the last picture he sent me was a rattlesnake. So that kind of made me wonder if I, if I had, you know, I, in fact, I'd commented and we found a rosy boa, I think it was. And I said, ah, oh, you're in good company. And then his next picture was the rattlesnake. I didn't reply because... Be honest with you, I'd I'd probably kill it. <laughs> I wouldn't want to run into him at, at night, you know, and step on him again. That's what happened when I was a little kid. I stepped on one and turned, and I had rolled up my cuffs because my mom would buy my pants too big so I could grow, and I wouldn't outgrow my pants so quickly. And so he grabbed onto my cuff and was there chewing on it. So if uh, I wouldn't have been, if I wouldn't have had the cuffs on my pants, I wouldn't be here today. But yeah, I got a lot of respect for rattlesnakes. I, I wouldn't say I've got a disrespect for them, but um, as I grew up uh, later in life, I had a reputation. I don't know anybody else who did, actually, but I used to make a point of always killing rattlesnakes. People would see them and let them run away, but whenever I saw them, I'd always kill them because that's what my neighbors did to that one. They came over with a shovel and chopped off its head. And uh, so uh, uh, whenever I saw rattlesnakes out when I was hiking and catching lizards and toads and salamanders, I would usually kill the rattlesnakes, but I'd bring them home. And my mother wouldn't let me eat them, but I would skin them. And so I've got a, well, had, I'm not sure how many I've got, maybe a couple left in, in some of my boxes of the rattlesnake skins. And I experimented with different ways of preserving them because unfortunately I didn't have anybody to turn to who did that. I, I, I preserved them with glycerin and, and salt and all kinds of stuff. And I think the glycerin ones kind of rotted and they didn't last as well. And the, uh, uh, the salted ones is what I've got. The ones that I, I cured with, I think salt and, and those, those, I think I've still got it. Well, I know I've got one. I'm pretty sure I saw one when I was unpacking my stuff and repacking it. I thought, well, gosh, you know, I don't, I'd like to put it on my hat or something. So maybe next time I move and I come across that, I'll take it out and put it on my hat. Yeah. Surprised I didn't think of that. <laughs> I like that idea. So anyway, um, but that's about, you know, going back to my childhood. I really like being out in the canyons. I was real happy. Now, I like hiking in the mountains and the pine trees and the conifers and the higher mountain climates. And when I was in Utah, you know, almost a mile high, I enjoyed hiking around. No, that's actually not so true. We went camping. I, I took my daughter out camping and stuff, and I would go out and fishing. But no, I didn't really, now that I think about it, we did a couple. Now, we did some field trips as students. We would take weekend trips and go up into the mountains and then hike. There was lots of big boulders, and we'd climb over the boulders and hike on the trails. And mostly we were on trails because hiking between the trees is much more difficult in the, high, in the higher mountains, you know, with the brush and the trees. And, and uh, so it's a lot more difficult to pave away. You need a machete or something. <laughs> so we were always on the trails. But when I hike around the chaparral, you can kind of make your trails or follow the rabbit trails. And so that's what I kind of like is uh, the chaparral. So there's my poem again. Okay, let's put my, this is my poetry book I carried in. Remember, I had that fanny pack, and I keep this in my fanny pack. So I was always ready to perform all the time and always writing poetry almost every day. All right, so I got a few notes here written. Let's see, what am I supposed to do today? Um, should we cherish the past? Well, what if you got lots of bad memories? See, I got lots of good memories. I mean, I do have bad memories, but I tend to forget them. You know, I, I, I can kind of be reminded of them. I was kind of ostracized, which is why I was out there hiking alone. You know, it's because... I didn't really get along with kids. They called me brain. I was a straight A student. So they actually resented me. I mean, I was, I mean, I would say more than half the kids were really mean to me just because I was a straight A student. Um, I wasn't mean to anybody for being stupid, but they were mean to me for being smart. Uh, so anyway, even my dad called me brain. He never respected me either. 
So, um, in fact, uh, I recently uh, wrote a song and recorded it called uh, God, Are You There? And it was after my dad had basically told me that he doesn't see any value in intelligence. You know, you're only worth what you can make in money. So he thinks my brothers are worth a lot more than I am because they make more money than I do. You know, they they work and they, they mow lawns and, and do all that stuff and make a lot more money than I do. So he thinks they're more valuable than I am. He doesn't believe in creativity or writing or music or philosophy or <laughs> or even kung fu. Unless I'm making money and... Uh, He's never, I don't know, even when I was making money, I don't think my, I never got much respect from, from anybody for that. But anyway, I just never got much respect from my family. <laughs> anyway, sorry, it wasn't supposed to be negative. Let's see. So should we cherish the past? Well, once again, like I said, um, I think I'm enjoying my present and, and looking forward to the future more than trying to imitate the past. Um, and I've talked about, um, in the last episode, I was talking about love. And every time you try to recreate a love, it always just ends up having a beginning, middle, and an end. So, you know, it's kind of like a, living the life of a fly, you know, total bliss for 14 days and then it's over. So you just keep doing that over and over again all your life. Um, let's see. Let's see. What about, so uh, yeah, in terms of that past, do I want that, uh, that, uh, I would kind of like that chaparral environment. Um, but like I said, if I did find rattlesnakes, I'd, I'd kill them. <laughs> okay. So, um, so yeah, in terms of the past, I, I guess I've kind of tuned out most of the bad in the past. Cause I, I tend to, like I said, have good memories and don't seem to be too traumatized by the bad memories. Cause actually I should be, because I keep letting a lot of dumb people into my life and keep getting burned by them. And and I keep letting a lot of women, you know, dominate my life and uh, become my highest priority and then just dump me and leave me with nothing. So it's like, well, I was, so I, I think maybe I should kind of think about the bad memories more. <laughs> so let's see, uh, what am I supposed to do now? Um, the uh, Four Noble Truths Explained. So uh, real quickly, um, that book, I, I think I mentioned in the last podcast, I'm supposed to, um, I was supposed to release it uh last month. Oh, today is May Day. Um, oh, and, and that's the thing about humans being salmon. Um, May Day is worker day. And since 60 to 80% of the world is workers, um, at least 60%, you know, they're basically just slaves. You know, they, they're, they, they're born, they're bred, they work and they die. And so, yeah, we're just salmon. We go out there and we live in the ocean and work and do what we're supposed to do. And then we go find a place and reproduce and die. And so, so I think that the, um, the ideal human is basically a, a successful salmon, somebody who's been able to, you know, support himself and, and, uh, and then you die after you reproduce. So that's unfortunately all that most people want to be. And somebody like me who's trying to make a difference and trying to leave behind a legacy and poetry and art and philosophy like I said, my parents have no respect for that at all. So I think that 60 to 80% of the people don't. And I was recently talking to um, uh, somebody. Uh, oh, it was my, um, I, I went in for a, a hearing. When I'm for about, um, the reason my hearing is as good as it is at 67 years old is because I spent uh, 30 years, at least 30, 40 years, uh, wearing earplugs. I went into a hearing aid place and I said, hey, can you make me a, just a, a hearing aid without a hearing aid? I just want a fancy plug because I was working construction. I didn't like those foam things. Those things are ugly and I didn't think they were very good, attractive, and I don't think they work that well. And so I had an idea that what if I could get a, an actual silicone earplug? And he said, well, yeah, I could do that. I said, okay, would you do it? 
And so back in the 70s, he only charged me, I think, about $25 for the pair. He said, hey, normally charge a lot more because he puts hearing aids in them. So, uh, But anyway, he made me a pair. And I wore those things for almost every gig and wore them for rehearsals and everything for 30, 40 years. Well, from, I, I lost them uh, back about 2015 or 16 on a construction job. Um, I was doing demolition. And somehow I... I lost it and uh, it fell out of my pocket or something. And it was all this debris and I sifted through. I couldn't find it, which was a drag because I really liked it. And it worked well when I was at the airport working at LAX and the planes were flying over, you know, huge decibels. I mean, I have my earplugs in those good ones. In fact, as a result of that, they got darker because I was hand in the grease and the oil. So they actually got darker as a result of that 1984 job. But uh, so they showed up more. So anyway, I went into my hearing aid place and I said, I just want some hearing aid plugs. And she goes, oh, okay, well, I got to charge you $2,000. I go, what? I got only paid $25 for the last ones. And she goes, well, we just don't make them, you know, for earplugs. You know, I got to charge you for hearing aids. We just don't do that. And your insurance won't pay for them. It's like, what? I think $200 is the cheapest I could get her to say it. And I said, all right, then here's what I want you to do. Charge me $2,000, make me the hearing aids, but don't put them in the plugs. You know, just give me the hearing aid and I'll just stick it in my ear, you know, and things goes over your ear. And then I said, make the silicone plug and then fill in the hole where the hearing aid's supposed to go with some silicone and we'll have it. And we worked out a deal. She said, okay. And so for no extra charge, she charged me $2,000 to get my hearing aids. But she made them separate, like I said. And I got these little ear things. They stick them in instead of having the ear playing. And then she uh, filled in the hole, which was where the hearing aid's supposed to go into in that plug. And uh, and I so now I've got two. Actually, I could only get one last year because she charged me $2,000 for just one. Or it was like 1800 bucks. So I could only get one. And she goes, I'll make you the next one next year. So last year I got one hearing aid and one ear plug. And then this year I went in again. And it was a big hassle because they discontinued that model. So I had to get a different model. I mean, it took a couple of weeks just to negotiate me able to get this thing. But anyway, and she, and she made a, a mold of the other ear. And then I got a different brand, but matches. And I got another hearing aid for this ear. And then I got the, the hearing aid made out of silicone. And then she plugged it with some silicone. And, and whammo, now I got my two hearing plugs again, which is kind of awesome. I haven't used them yet. <laughs> I'm not performing outdoors or going to concerts. Yeah, I'd wear them at concerts too sometimes. So, um... Especially when I was near the stage. And I wore them when I was doing, um, well, anyway, yeah, I've worn them quite a bit over the years. I had them in a little pouch and I'd keep that pouch. And I wore Levi's and they have that little watch pocket. And so I'd keep them in that little watch, po watch pocket. So, yeah, that's one of the reasons my hearing is, is as good as it is, is from wearing those earplugs for 30, 40 years. Well, like I said, what are we talking, like 74 to uh, 2014? So uh, 84, 94, 04, 14, 40 years. 40 years I, I wore them. So, um, yeah, that, that's a, I really recommend them. So, okay, where were we? Um, um, okay, so I was talking about the hearing aid things, and uh, I went in and got those. But there was a reason I said that. What, how did I get off on that tangent? <laughs> but anyway, I've got, my hearing, I've got my hearing things. But I don't really need the hearing aids. In fact, I don't really like wearing them. And all they do is make things maybe a little brighter, just a hair brighter, but not much. And uh, I was trying to use the, the one that I had, and I was using it for uh, uh, singing this last year. And I would walk around the block before I got my Nordic track. And I'd put the hearing aid in, and I'd put my... Um, um, iPhone in a case on my belt and then I could instead of having a cord and having to plug it in to my hearing aid so you could you know see the white cord I could just 
you know, just sing along that looks like nothing. And I'd put the hearing aid in and use the Bluetooth, and then I would sing along, which meant they had to do a special thing to it, too, because they normally have compression on it and everything. So she had to take off the compression and take off this, because when I sing, it would change the hearing aid. It would change the volume of the Bluetooth. It was a, But anyway, she'd never done that for anybody. My hearing aid person says, I'm the first person who'd ever asked for anything like that or designed anything like that. So she was kind of in, <laughs> she was confused, but we figured it out. Uh, so anyway, uh, so I can just listen to the music in my ear pl- in my uh, hearing aids and uh, sing along to music and just walk along the street singing, ma, 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 full blast. People think I'm probably a little wacky, but <laughs> so glad I don't have to do that anymore. I just sing while I'm walking on my Nordic track now. Um, and, oh, in fact, what I do is I take my, um, iPhone and I put it on, well, I actually, I use my, um, my old iPod. I've got one of these old iPods from like 2003 maybe. And, uh, and so I take that and I use the eighth inch out on that stereo and plug that into a, a thing that I've got on my Nordic track and I've got a volume control, but the speakers are really crappy on that Nordic track. I got to say they could really make better speakers. There's actually just one speaker, I think maybe on each side on the top and, uh, they don't have very good sound. But anyway, I play it through that because it's, I don't know, just maybe a little louder. I'm not sure if it's any better than just listening to it with the speakers on my iPod or on my iPhone. But anyway, that's what I've been doing. And so I've been, uh, uh, I, I can listen to music on that or my iPod and plug it in there. And well, my iPod, I got to plug it into there, but my iPhone, it's kind of like 50, 50. I'm not sure which is better listening to the speakers on my iPhone or listening to the speakers on the Nordic track. So, um, anyway, that's how I've been doing that. So where were we? Let's, let's finish this up. Uh, the four noble truths explained. Well, I'm supposed to be explaining to you about the uh, four noble truths. I'd like to be reading my book on the four noble truths. Um, uh, so, um, that's really what I want to be doing and I should be doing. And yeah, <laughs> I wish somebody cared. I don't feel very motivated to get it done right now, even though it's, I, I really want to get it done and, and I've written a lot of it, but, um, anyway, the, uh, four noble truths. Let's just summarize real fast. Number one, life stuff. <laughs> oh, I remember that one I gave you life sucks. And that's all there is to it. There's going to be bad things that happen. Remember you get bit by that and you know, ticks and bugs and, and, and things when you're out, you know, hiking, you know, there's always gonna be something bad that happens. That's just life. Okay. Um, all, all suckage ends, you know, you either die from the bite or you swell up and lose your leg. Who knows? But eventually it ends and you go on with your life. <laughs> Number three, you can have an effect on how it ends. Yeah. So if you do get bit, you know, you might be able to like, even by that rattlesnake, if you deal with it better, you maybe not lose your leg. Maybe you can get the poison out or cut it, bleed it, or in my case, wear cuffs or as I do now, I wear cowboy boots. So, you know, when if I do get bit by a rattlesnake again, it's going to bite my boot. <laughs> so yeah, when you see my videos that I shot last year, when I was out there in the Joshua trees, I always put on my cowboy boots when I went out hiking, there's all these kangaroo rat holes everywhere. And so I'm always afraid there's gonna be a rattlesnake in one of those things. I'll pop get me on their sidewinder snakes so when i'm walking in the gullies and the little stream beds you know in the sand i'm always looking for the sidewinder tracks because they bury themselves down in the sand and just make it so their eyes stick up that's why their eyes kind of stick up on their head so they can kind of bury themselves the only thing i've got up is their eyes so you can't really see them and uh, so anyway i i I was always kind of nervous about that so i didn't walk in the middle of the stream beds or anything and uh, um but anyway i wore my cowboy boots Okay, so, oh, oh yeah, so I was saying you can have an effect on it. So like I say, you look, you look for ways to have an effect on it. And then the fourth way is you have a lifestyle that, that prevents that. Well, you could just not go into canyons at all. Just have a lifestyle where you don't go out there. That 
minimizes the risk. Um, you get a lifestyle where you always wear cowboy boots. Well, I, at least I wear them when I'm out there hiking. And so, um, and that's, that's the four noble truths. So that's how you deal with it. Okay. So, um, that's the four noble truth. Uh, life sucks. Suckage ends. You can have effect on when it ends and you can leave, live a life that has less suck, less suckage. I got to come up with a better way to say it. <laughs> Somehow I feel like <laughs> at least millennials will understand that. Okay. So let's see, where were we? Um, anything else I got to mention? No, I think that's it. Well, I'm supposed to give you an ad. Well, get maybe by the time you see this podcast in the future, there's only like 10 people watching it each week now. Um, but maybe there'll be 10,000 people watching it in the future. Maybe by then the book will be out. So get Four Noble Truths number one. And the Four Noble Truths number one is I've got it laid out. Like I said, I haven't really finished it. I've just got to basically put it together and boom, it's done. But uh, the way I've got it right now is it's going to be when I was performing as the philosopher poet, I was writing a lot of poetry that all of a sudden just started having a lot of Buddhism in it. And so I started realizing, well, okay, I'm going to, instead of being Richard Del Connor, the philosopher poet, I'll be Buddha Z, you know, the Shaolin flutist. And because remember, I'd always play flute too. So I'd call it Shaolin flute. And I wear a Kung Fu, um, well, I was always wearing my Kung Fu outfit anyway. But when I became Richard Del, Richard Del Connor, the philosopher poet, I'd wear a suit. So I'd wear a normal uh, collared shirt and I'd wear a gray vest. And then I'd wear, uh, you know, different colored suit coats, sport coats and things. So I always looked kind of nice, a philosopher, poet. I wanted to look more like a, a professor, you know, a university professor. So, um, but as Buddha Z, uh, I, I was kind of, in fact, just today, I decided, well, okay, I've got these eight podcasts, and this is the very first one I've shot on video, this one right now. And uh, I decided, okay, everybody does these podcasts in videos, and they still call them podcasts. They used to call them video casts, but now they still call them podcasts. And I think it probably would improve my marketing. So I'm right now shooting this on my iPhone, and I've got it over here uh, to this uh, lapel mic because it's a little better than recording it over there on the end of my iPhone. And then I got this right here, and I'm recording this directly into Logic Pro. So I've got a really nice recording of this. So this will be my audio podcast, and I'll release this, you know, through Spotify. And then I'll have this, which I can release on YouTube. And this is my first. I'm going to do all eight podcasts this way for the first time today. And this is May Day. And so in honor of, um, now Buddha Z, I guess I'll, I'll talk more about it in my other podcast, but I've been a worker all my life. Remember, I come from a slave family, a family of slave minds. You know, they believe only in slavery and working. You're only worth what you can sell your time for. If you can't sell your time for it, you know, give your life up, you know, in slavery for someone to get paid or get your expenses covered, then you're of no value. And I, my parents cannot see any value beyond that. So I come from a real slave society. And, and that's what May Day is about. It's for all the people who are living that reality of worker slaves. You know, you're trading your time. So obviously you don't want to be whipped and beaten, you know, I mean, you say slave and everybody gets all panicked, but, uh, you know, um, a lot of slaves were treated very nicely, you know, they'd be house servants and probably treated better than I was. And, um, you know, so a lot of, you know, being a slave just means that you're giving away your time for, to be able to survive. And so, um, you get trapped in a job. A lot of people get in a job and they feel trapped and they stay in it and they're locked into it just like in slavery, you know, and, and so anyway, I don't want to get, get into the semantics of this because I know everybody's just going to freak out. So stop freaking out. But let's get back to the thing. The point is I've always been forced into being a worker my whole life. I've been a worker. And so as a worker, I was always concerned about the work environment because remember, I wasn't really supposed to be there. So I was never really satisfied as just being a worker. And uh, I've got a song called Don't Push Me, which is about, you know, me actually telling a, you know, a boss to, you know, 
you know, get lost <laughs> for cussing at me and stuff and, uh, and being mean to me and saying, no, I'm not going to work for you. In fact, he wanted me to be on his crew and I refused. I was an independent. I was building certain kind of forms for a prison. And I was at, all I had was, it was just me and I had a guy cutting lumber for me. So I was on my own. I didn't want to be part of his crew. It's like, no, I'm independent and nobody yells at me. I got everything the way I want it. So in a way I was, you know, like kind of independent, even though I was a worker. But anyway, he was a really mean, terrible person. And I worked for somebody else. And I told him when I thought of him and he fired me the same day. <laughs> he was making people cry, you know, men, you know, he was yelling and cussing and screaming. And one of these guys was an apprentice carpenter. I was a union carpenter. He made him cry. And it's like, you know, I, I told the guy, I thought he was a crappy person. Yeah. He fired me that same day. I got a paycheck at the end of the day, right before quitting time. They gave me a paycheck, said, okay, don't come back. <laughs> it's like, Okay. I don't like. So anyway, that's what happens when you do speak your mind to, to a slave owner. You know, they, they don't want to be improved. So anyway, that's why unions are for. Because as a person, you cannot have any effect on a slave man. You know, on, the, on a person like that who whips and beats you. You can't affect them as an individual. Only as a group can you have that effect. And that's why unions are so important. But the unions and the corporations are at battle with each other because the, the corporations and the bosses, they don't want the people to have that kind of power. They want to be able to manipulate them, hold their wages down, hold their benefits down, not give them insurance, you know, not do this. They're trying to just minimize their overhead so they can make more profit. So from their point of view, they're doing the right thing. But from our point of view, they're making life worse for us. Not that they really care. So anyway, that's what unions are for. And when I was in the 80s, I was really disappointed to watch how, because unfortunately most workers are stupid. You know, we got to remember 50% of our population, 50, you know, the C grade is a 50%. So 50% of everybody that goes to school is a C, a C minus, a D, a D minus, or an F. And so 50% of the people are just really dumb in this world. And I've only really come to accept that in the last few years, to be honest with you. I'm 67 and I've had just too much hope for humanity. I've always thought people could be smarter, but I've just come to realize, no, a lot of people cannot be smarter. It's not really possible. I mean, not right. you can force them to be, but the moment you stop forcing them to be, then they're not going to be smarter again. They'll go back to being dumb. So a lot of people are just naturally stupid and that's just the way it is. And that's why the Republican party represents the government and all these people, these corporations, and they managed to get the dumb people to actually believe that they're the best people. They represent them. They get them all stirred up with fear, you know, caravans approaching from the border, this and that. They make them all, they stir them up with fear and they say, oh, we're protecting you. And they're not, they're lying. They're cheaters. They're people like Ted Cruz. They don't give a damn about the workers, not a damn, but the, a lot of people, a lot of the dumb people think that they're their friends and, and you just can't convince them otherwise. They're not smart enough to be able to see the truth. And, and I've just had to come to ex, 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 the last four years of Trump being president because Trump is not very smart and he's really a manipulator and he's got all the dumb people love him. The dumbest people, you watch the interviews, you listen to what they say and how they support him and they don't research anything. They don't understand anything. They don't watch anything except maybe Fox News. And so they're limited in intelligence, limited, in, limited information, limited understanding. They're just really dumb people and they're always going to be dumb people and they're easily manipulated by the Republicans. And that's what the Republicans rep represent is all the corporations that want to keep them stupid. They're really opposed to all this education. Oh, they're going to make them smarter. No. Oh, no, they'll rebel. 
They won't vote for us. They'll be able to see through us. They'll know too much. So the Republicans will never support education or, or promoting education and making people smarter because it's against their financial interest. <laughs> they want to be able to manipulate the dumb people and take advantage of them and get them to vote for them and make them believe that they actually care about them when they don't care a, a damn at all. Oh, not even the slightest bit. Don't like using that word, damn. But I, I guess I'm just trying to be dramatic here because it's a dramatic thing. And so anyway, I've been come to realize that just, you know, dumb people are always going to be dumb. And there's always a lot of dumb people out there and they're not going to get any smarter. They were born dumb. They lived dumb. They graduated high school dumb and they've lived dumb and they're going to die dumb. And that's all there is to it. And I just, um, that's a hard thing for me to accept, to be honest with you, but I, I've come to accept that. I still want to help them, and that's what the unions are for. So the unions are a way for the dumb people to actually get representation, to get protection, to get better work environments, to get better benefits, to get better health benefits, to get better retirements. All these things are what the unions will provide. But dumb people somehow can't understand that, which... I don't understand. <laughs> a, a dumb person can't understand me and I can't understand a dumb person. So we're, you know, we're not at the ends of the spectrum there. So, um, in, in fact, as I mentioned, I think in one of my podcasts, you know, a, a criminal doesn't like a policeman and a policeman doesn't like a criminal. Well, I tend to like dumb people. I think more than dumb people like me. So, but then again, I'm, I'm, I'm an unusual person. That's because I'm so artistic too and uh, compassionate. And I've had to live among dumb people. In fact, I lived among homeless people for six years. So a lot of dumb people. Where did all those dumb people end up? Uh, they were a lot of the people that I was work, uh, living amongst, you know, these homeless people and drug addicts. Well, they, they lived their lives. You know, they'd spent 20 years, 20, 30 years raising their kids, had jobs, uh, maybe even a union job, but working in grocery stores and, and lumber and whatever. They did jobs, um, sales, um, cashiers. And then they get old, they get ugly. They have, uh, they burn themselves out from drinking liquor every day, which makes you dumber and less attractive. And, uh, yeah, you turn 40, 50 years old and nobody, they'd rather hire somebody who's 20 years old and sparkly at the same price or even less than you. Cause you've had pay raises. So all the dumb old people are just, they throw them out on the street and boy, who wants them? Yeah. You know, that's so, so that's why a lot of the homeless people are just dumb people. They're just dumb. And, uh, it's, a, it's unfortunate, but I lived amongst them for six years and, and I was friends with as many of them as I would talk, you know, decided to tolerate and avoided many of it. You know, I was basically got along with everybody and really, really well, actually. Um, it was only, um, you know, I'd say the worst case scenarios were when I would try to sit with the, um, black people and they would sometimes, some of them were just really prejudiced against white people. God, they're amazingly prejudiced. And, uh, and, uh, they, they called themselves the N-word all day long, you know. Uh, I've even got an apartment manager, and I heard her talking to another black person. And she was calling herself, uh, well, I'm my own N-word, and I've been my own N-word my whole life. And, you know, they use that N-word all the time. So, um, but anyway, a lot of um, black people are very prejudiced against white people, and maybe deservedly. You know, I mean, a lot, I'm sure a lot of white people have been mean or, you know, prejudiced against them. But, uh, yeah, sometimes they would make me get up from the table and leave. They go, you know, sit with us, you know, go over there, those faggots, you know. And they'd, they'd, I'd get along with the, with the, with the um, gay people, too. So sometimes a lot of the people were, I don't think they liked me because some people say, are you gay? And I say, no, you know, well, why do you hang out with them? And I go, I hang out with everybody. So I just got along with everybody. And so uh, anyway, but yeah, the black people on several occasions, maybe leave their table. They, they didn't want me to sit with them. So I know what it's like to be prejudiced against, you know, 
You don't have to be black to be feel prejudice. You know, you can be a white person and feel the anger and hostility and resentment of prejudice. So, but I don't really want to get into that because I did get along with every other black person that was nice to me. A lot of them were very nice to me, very nice. It's nicer, nicer than any white person. So, like I said, I don't have a prejudice. I get along with every race, every nationality. In fact, I find different races and different nationalities more interesting. <laughs> I'm, you know, me, I'm the philosopher poet. I'm always asking people questions. So, so when I find somebody who's different and had a different lifestyle or grown up in a different place or a different part of the country, man, the people from the South, you know, that was, that was really interesting, you know, hearing the stories about what life was like down there for those, from the, many of those people, you know, it's a whole world that I'd never experienced. But um, anyway, and prison, a lot of prisoners, like one of my roommates, he spent 20 years in prison for murder. And I was in a, um, he was a roommate of mine for a year. Uh, no, I'm not going to say his name, but anyway, uh, got a couple poems about him, but he was a really nice guy. But one of the reasons he couldn't succeed in life was because when you get out of prison, you have to always tell somebody you're a convict. So that makes it harder for you to get a job. So here you are, you're black, you're from the South, you're a convict, you're old, and you probably have a drinking problem anyway, and you, you know, he, he did. I mean, sometimes he would be so drunk, he'd smell like urine because he'd wet his pants, and I don't think he know it. But, but he's still a really nice guy, and we got along really fabulous. Um, I could tell you more about that, but let's just leave it at that. <laughs> we got, but we did. We got along real good. So I can get along with anybody if they're, as long as they're polite to me. Anybody who's polite and respectful to me can be my friend. I've just always been that way. Um, I've always had to be that way because most people were just really mean to me. So I was always just anxious to find somebody who'd be nice to me. Because like I said, I, I, I had the prejudice of people thinking I was smart. And, and disliking me and being prejudiced against me for that. Well, anyway, today's Labor Day. But I'm just trying to say, I've always represented labor. I was a member of the, um, um, the when I was in the Carpenters Union, um, I, I represented not only what I, was I uh, um, speaking up at all the meetings, but I was the AFL-CIO representative. Every month, all the unions have a collective meeting every month. So I was the Carpenters Union representative from, I don't know how many years, but many years, I was the representative. I go to those meetings every month. And I get to hear from the nurses union, the teachers union, the policemen. Everybody would get up and say different things. Uh, I didn't always say much, but I was mostly just listening and taking it all in. In fact, those were the Reagan years. So I got to hear about all the things that Reagan was doing and busting all these different unions, and how he was throwing people out on the street from the mental hospitals and all kinds of stuff. So I had the inside information on that when it was actually happening. And then I saw the aftermath of it, you know. But anyway, that's another topic. But I've always represented labor. I've always wanted the, the the working man to be treated better. I've always thought that, you know, obviously most of them are too stupid to understand that they could have a better life. You know, they'll just take whatever they can get, you know, and they're happy to have whatever they can get. And they'll undercut other people to get something just to have a job. Even if it means that now those people who had the job and could make more now have to get paid less. They'll, they'll actually ruin it for everybody else just out of greed and selfishness. So dumb people, unfortunately, have been working against themselves so much that there haven't been many pay raises in 30 years. 30 years, they've all these selfish, greedy, narrow-minded, uneducated, you know, dumb people have, have worked against themselves. And so they're having, the cost of living has been going up and the cost of wages has almost stayed the same. And the unions have gone way down in terms of representation. And, and um, a lot of people don't join the unions because they'd rather have just any job, even if it's not a union job. So, so the labor situation, dumb people have really worked against themselves in 30, 40 years. I mean, I've seen it. And it's a, it's a statistical fact. So I'm glad to see that Joe Biden's in there representing the, the working man. You know, he really is. He's the first president we've had to really represent the working man in a long time. Um, I'm not sure if Obama did much, you know. Um, 
I think, unfortunately, he just couldn't get much done. McConnell, you know, just prevented him from ever being able to be a president. McConnell just really let the stomp, stomp, you know, basically was prejudiced against him and, and held him back, put him in a little cage. And he was the president, but he kept him in a cage for his entire presidency. So he couldn't get anything done. So he could have maybe been a good president if the government would have worked with him. But our government's very prejudiced and controlled by big business and anti-union. So, so they really squashed uh, him. And then the Bushes, you know, they represent oil and, and the CIA. So they were never looking out for the little guy. <laughs> and Clinton, he's kind of on the upper class. So I don't know if he really did much for the workers. A little bit, maybe, but not much. So, yeah, there hasn't been a good president working for the people, you know, in the last 50 years, really, you know. Uh, maybe Jimmy Carter. He, he was probably a peanut farmer, so he was still a big-time big plantation owner. But uh, he was such a nice guy that I'd like to think that he had the worker's interest in mind, but probably wasn't too motivated to do anything about it. So, yeah, Joe Biden, I think, is the first guy we've ever had in my lifetime who's really interested in making the life of the dumb people, the worker people, the slave class, the slave mind, you know, make their lives better. And so... I, I really think Joe's an excellent president for that reason alone. But anyway, let me get out of here. How long has it been? Um, I can't tell. I've got a counter going up here. Is it 12 minutes? <laughs> 23 minutes? I can't tell. Um, let's see. Yeah. Do, um, I didn't hit the record on my camera. I can't believe it. I did this whole thing without, a, without that being on. I don't believe it. So I didn't record this. I turned on the sound and then I never hit the record on my um camera. So this is a sound only podcast. Too bad. Anyway, let me get out of here. I got a, uh, the farewell song for you. Oh, I'm really disappointed because here I've been looking at the camera and engaging it. And, and, uh, I even put on my Buddha Z outfit for this podcast. So anyway, this podcast is sound only much to my disappointment and uh, looking right at the camera. I still didn't even notice the red light wasn't on. <sighs> <laughs> I thought I was a smart person. Well, part of being smart is realizing that you don't always know enough. And, uh, you know, you got to keep learning and experiencing. So I, I will do better. Uh, being smart just means you keep getting smarter and uh, uh, and realizing sometimes, oh, man, you do dumb stuff, something dumb. Well, I don't know, dumb. I set this whole thing up really nicely. So anyway, yeah, <laughs> Buddha Z with a little frustration saying farewell. And I'm going to leave you with a song from American Zen called A Long Way Home, which was written when I was in um, Utah. And I was uh, wanting to be back in California. And I couldn't get back because I couldn't make enough money to get back. And uh, and my wife was really not, you know, working in my best interest. She was off on her own thing. And then we had another kid. And then I was taking care of the kid. So I limited my ability to make money. And and so it was just really hard to to, to get out of Utah. And we finally did right before the millennium. Right in 1999, 1999, we were able to bail out, I think in, what was it, December? In December, because we really wanted to make it out before the millennium. Everybody in Utah was freaking out and panicking. They're really kind of superstitious and, and, uh, uh, and, uh cult-minded. So they really thought that the world was going to blow them up or something. So we wanted to get out of Utah. Even the people I knew were in our police force were qu quitting the police because they were afraid there was going to be riots and, and people were going to attack Utah. And they really did. There's a lot of panic going on. So I was living amidst all that trepidation and we got out. Okay, so here's a song called A Long Way Home about wishing I was back in California. See ya, Buddha Z here, episode 008, and uh, humans being salmon. And like I said, yeah, most people, 50%, 60%, 70%.
80 percent um you remember 10 20 percent you know control the other 60 percent and then 10 percent are just rich and and you know and just living off stocks and stuff they don't have any relationship to anybody they don't even run their own businesses you know they just look at the stocks and bonds and 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 live their lives go to the horse races so so the world's really run by about 20 percent and then 70 percent is slaves and uh, uh 10% just laughing at everybody else. <laughs> I guess I'm part of that 10% now because I'm not part of the slaves and I'm not a slave owner. So I'm just, you know, looking at the world from, from a, on top of a mountain. Everybody's down there slaving away in the valley below. All right, see you later.
Come.